Unitarian Universalist minister Patrick O'Neill relates this story. He writes, among the most accomplished and fabled tribes of Africa, no tribe was considered to have more warriors, more fearsome, or more intelligent than the mighty Maasai. It is perhaps surprising then to learn that the traditional greeting that passed among the Maasai warriors was Kasarian Ngera. Kasarian Ngera, one would always say to another when they greet them. It means, how are the children? It is still the traditional greeting among the Maasai, acknowledging the high value that the Maasai always place on their children's well-being. Even men and women with no children, no children of their own, would always give the traditional answer to that question. We are all well. We are all well. That was the answer. Meaning, of course, that the people had taken care of business, that peace and safety prevailed, that the priorities of protecting the young, the powerless, were in place. Deeper still, it means that the Maasai had not forgotten their reason for being Maasai, their proper functions and responsibilities. We are well. We are all well means that life is good, that the community is whole, and it means the people are living in peace and love. And it means that the daily struggles for existence are properly centered around caring for the next generation. So thank you, Patrick O'Neill. His story reminds me of the great law of peace among the people of the Haudenosaunee Confederation. That is the Cayuga, the Mohawk, the Onegada, the Oneida, the Seneca, and the Tuscarora. People who were indigenous to the Great Lakes, the Hudson Valley area up into Pennsylvania, their ancient laws were taught orally and with repetition. So everyone knew the law, not just lawyers, Everyone knew the law much in the same way as you know the covenant of First Parish, by repetition, by saying it over and over again. One law counseled the leaders that they must make all decisions with an awareness of its impact on the children and the children's children and so on, even unto the seventh generation. Similar ways of thinking were common among traditional peoples in every part of the world. Today, seventh generation thinking, if you look at it, go on the internet, like Tanya Iron Eyes, go on the internet, look, you're going to find that seventh generation thinking is going to be a phrase, and it's always going to be associated with something that informs our concept of sustainability. So whenever somebody wants to talk about sustainability on a website, they're going to call it the Seventh Generation Institute or something like that. Wisdom tells us that building pipelines under rivers 
impact us, impact us as a community, and the community 100 years from now. Now, the builder might say, we won't be here 100 years from now. But the answer is, the seventh generation principle is, we think in terms of what is good for the community. And what is good for the community implies thinking as not simply of ourselves, but of our children, and our children's children, and our children being coming adults and having children. We think in terms of generations if we are thinking in terms of community. Sustainability has become a basic principle of thinking when it comes to environment. So everyone here knows that dumping garbage may be a short-term solution, but it means headaches for the people in the future. Some of us have already had those headaches. And we would hope the same principle applies when it comes to releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Carbon builds up and carbon traps heat, and the oceans and the atmosphere become warmer. And if we continue to do this, our ecology becomes unsustainable. And there are other kinds of planning, planning for sustainability that we think of. Investing in education is investing in the future. If we want to sustain our society, we must educate. Society must also repair and renew the infrastructure because streets, water pipes wear out. They need replacement. And let's look closer at home. First Parish has an endowment. That is, the ancestors have left us some money. Money to be used for the good of First Parish, for the realization of the mission of First Parish. Some some see the endowment, and they see all of the needs right now, needs for justice, the needs for this, the needs for that, and they say, spend it. Spend the endowment. There are so many good things we can spend money on. But the leadership of First Parish has counseled that the endowment is a gift of those who went before to the future generations, and that we now are simply its guardians. So we do not spend the endowment. We use a portion of the income to repair and renovate this building. And the building is also a gift of those who went before. It was here long before I was born, a century and more before I was born, and I'm in my eighth decade. So taking care of this beautiful but aging building is a challenge. And so much good, so much good goes on within its walls. So, much, so many people find spiritual direction, inspiration, vision, courage in these walls. And the youth homeless shelter in the space directly below this sanctuary keeps people warm and gives them shelter in the storms and the cold of the winter to sustain and care for the future, even unto the seventh generation. These are marks of what we call beloved community, whole community. How are the children? Caring only for ourselves, caring only for the here and now, is, we say, is unsustainable, unwise, 
not doing what we need to do. So the question comes back to how are the children? How are the children? Yes, it is good to make plans to sure that our institutions are oriented toward the future. For sustainability, yes, and also for transformation. We also want a future for those who come. And we hope and pray for a better future, a healthier future, a more peaceful nature of our future, a more inclusive future. So the question is, how are the children? The Maasai greeting assumes knowledge, personal knowing, personal knowing. In the dominant culture, this culture, that prevails in the, as the norm in the United States, outside of small towns, adults are expected to know their own children, grandchildren, and maybe some nieces and nephews. But neighborhood children? Such knowing was a commonplace at just a few decades ago but not so much today. We are a busy, busy people. We're busy. We go from our homes out into the world and we don't really know much going on in our neighborhood. We're also a frightened, protective people. Neighbors don't quarry neighbors. So over the last few decades, it's become hotter and hotter for North American adults to answer the question, how are the children? How are the children with any, any intimate knowledge at all? This congregation, this congregation has embarked on a journey, a journey toward transformation to become truly inclusive, to talk about overcoming oppressive systems and to strive for multiculturalism. I would humbly suggest, humbly suggest that part of that journey toward inclusion, that transformative journey, is to become deeply intergenerational. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? So one can say that a congregation is multicultural when it includes numbers of people from more than one culture. Hmm. And First Parish does. It includes people who come from different cultures. Among us are people from diverse cultures and diverse national backgrounds. And when we use that word multicultural congregation, we, we are using it in a special way. We're, we're not just simply meaning people from a diverse array of cultures. That's not just what we mean. We're referring to a practice a practice of explicitly sharing cross-cultural insights in readings, in music, in religious education, in envisioning our social justice outreach. We're talking about a process by which something happens, and we hope this happens, that individuals of different cultures will not simply tolerate each other in a common space, but appreciate and learn from each other and understand that that cultural insight from another culture 
is helpful for them. In like manner, being intergenerational is deeper than people of different generations coexisting in the framework of this congregation. And yes, it's more than providing excellent, separate, but equal programming for the young ones, which we do. Becoming intergenerational is teaching all of us to be able to answer the question, how are the children? From a place of knowledge, care. Over the past 10 years, First Parish has taken steps. Steps. Good steps. All of the services, all of our services begun with intergenerational events where our congregation's children were with us with the greeting and the chalice lighting and the first hymn and the story for all ages. And that's important to becoming an intergenerational community. It's a place where we get to know something about the children and they get to know something about us. Eight times a year, our religious educator works with the musicians and the ministers with the parents and with the children to create dedicated intergenerational services. They are built around a story and a ritual, gathering of waters, honoring those who have passed away, making soup and sharing bread, celebrating with chocolate, that's coming up, or flowers. These are times when the whole congregation is gathered together All of us. All of us. It's good to be reminded that sometimes we are not all present. We should know that when children come of age in congregations that segregate them, that provide a nice, nice Sunday school somewhere out of sight and out of mind, they tend to resist being part of church when they become 14 or 15. They always felt isolated. They go away. Young people will not learn spiritual practices or religious liberalism in our Sunday schools. They won't. They help, but that's not the primary teacher of young people. Young people learn from relationship with the older generation. Or as teachers would put it, by observation and modeling adult practices. So when they see you singing, that's more important than all the lessons, well, not, almost as important. But it's important to part of the thing, to see what you do, how you witness social justice, how you sing, how you teach, and how you serve. As the story of Tanya I and I showed us, adults can learn from the young as well. Curiosity and agility in response is what is new and emerging, is what it means to be young at heart. And the Standing Rock Sioux have been renewed in their struggle 
They are a different people. The black snake, the pipeline, the struggle goes on. All of the wisdom that the elders were able to teach. The networking they did with indigenous peoples all over the world and with allies. It was transformative. And it would never have heard that calling if it wasn't for a curious 13-year-old. Being intergenerational, my friends, is a practice. And I would suggest it is a transformative practice, one that can give deepness, depth, and substance to our congregational life. So let us learn to answer the question with knowledge. How are the children? We are all well. We are all well indeed.